you'll grab your Bibles, um, turn with me to Psalm 146. We've um, just not long been in a, a short series on Psalms uh, and uh, just picking several Psalms that Chris has uh, had, in, had in his heart for us to um, be working through and uh, just um, bring up some notes here. I seem to have a technical difficulty. Here we go. Let's pray so technical difficulties don't get in the way. That'd be great. God and Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity to come here this morning and continue in our weekly worship. Lord, we thank you that um, has been shared, the joy of coming together corporately and singing praise um, and worship, recognising that you're a God who's in control of our lives and recognising that you're a God who goes before us, Lord. We thank you for the opportunity today and every Sunday as we come together collectively to bring this worship and praise to you. Lord, I just pray as we uh, work through this psalm today that, Lord, you'll just, um, through your Holy Spirit, bring some clarity to our hearts. May you challenge us, may you lift us up, and may you give us a heart of praise and a posture of praise for you. Amen. Well, like I said, grab your Bibles and turn to Psalm 146. And um, this, uh, this psalm we've titled, um, probably could have a few titles, to be honest, because when I went, went through it, I thought, OK, that's a, Chris's title. Great title, Chris. Thanks for that. Um, but then... You know, I read other stuff, and as you do when you're reading God's Word and the situation that you're in, sometimes you see other things. But we have it here, a God of compassion, and I've just added to that a little bit, if it's okay with Chris, a God of compassion who is in control. Um, I really needed God to be in control of my life this week, and I suppose we all do at various times. It doesn't matter where we're at, but we love to know a God of compassion, but knowing that God's in control. So Psalm 146, it starts off really at the very back end, obviously, of a book of 150 chapters. And these last five psalms are recognised as hallelujah psalms. Praise the Lord, hallelujah, similar term. So all these earlier psalms, and I, I thought I'd actually try and read and each of these psalms in this week or two leading up just to get an understanding of what's really in the book of Psalms. It took me some time, and I'm not going to go through it to that extent with you guys. But I, I put some notes down, and what I noticed in the book of Psalms leading up to these last five Psalms, and in particular, Psalm 146. I noticed in the earlier Psalms that the, um, the songwriters, if you like, identified with their grief. They identified with shame, sin, Doubts, fears in life, and also their defeats, their victories, pretty much their ups and their downs. And really I came to the conclusion that this is an incredible book and is so relatable to each one of us every day. Doesn't matter what circumstances we are at in life, we can grab the book of Psalms and one of those Psalms will be right where we're at exactly where we're at, whether we're grieving, whether we're in a shameful circumstance, whether we're battling with sin, we're battling with our doubt, or we're battling with fear. There's even words that are rebellious in the Psalms. Maybe in our own Christian walk we've been like that with God as well. We've rebelled against 
And there's even words that talk about a struggling faith. But all these difficulties that I was reading through leading up to these last five psalms in particular, they're all now in the past, I felt. And these last five psalms, starting 146 in particular, is this psalm setting of hallelujah, praise the Lord. So I suppose in some ways closing off the book of Psalms, not, I'm clo- not that I'm closing it off today, but these sections of um, Psalm 146 through to Psalm 150, they're like final Psalms and there's an overwhelming sense of praise. An overwhelming sense of praise, an overwhelming sense of praise the Lord, hallelujah. And they are reinforced, if you notice, at the beginning and end of each of the final five Psalms. So what does praise do? Before we jump in, I'd like us to think about some things about what does praise do? So look, praise does a... There's a lot of aspects of praise, and I'm no theologian. I'm not going to go into each of the aspects and have you know, supporting um, verses or sections, but these are five things that came to my mind um, this week. Praise takes our minds off our own problems and redirects our focus to God. It's one point. Praise leads us from an individual sense of worship between me and God to come together and corporately worship and collectively build up Christ and what God has done for us. And I think we can all have that. We can have situations in our life where we, God has done something great within our own lives and, and we personally know that because it's extremely personal to us and we can't help but want to share it. Whether we share it corporately in this setting or whether we share it with another brother or sister in Christ, praise moves us from being just an individual worship focus to corporate. I also thought that I felt that praise brings us to appreciate more about God's character. When we're praising God and we're singing, sharing songs this morning, we're appreciating more about God's character. Praise lifts our perspectives or my perspectives from the earthly to the heavenly changes my thoughts about things that are of this earth to be focused on things eternal and not of this world. Praise prepares our hearts to further receive God's love. So five points of praise. That's a little bit about what praise does for us and how praise functions. But we're going to jump into verses chapter verse 1 and 2 of chapter 146. And I've headed up these two verses I gave them a title, A Declaration of Praise, because it's quite obvious. First one, praise the Lord, or hallelujah, maybe in your text, God be praised. Praise the Lord, O my soul, I will praise the Lord all of my life. I will sing praise to my God as long as I live. Well, one could read those two verses and think, yep, that's, that's, that's great, that's easy to read. What can we really talk about that? Well, I felt that the writer, I suppose the songwriter, is really declaring and having a determination to praise God continually and for one's entire life and with one's entire being in all circumstances. Because when you read that praise the Lord, I will praise the Lord all my life, life isn't just a timeline. Life is a timeline with events, is it not? A timeline with events that are good, bad or indifferent. So here this writer is wanting to praise God all my life, not just the extent of his life, 
but for all the situations in their life. I will praise God as long as I live. There's this continuance and dedication to worship and praise in the songwriter's heart. I'd have to advise and strongly advise that we can never be too firm or determined to praise God. I'll say that again. We can never be too determined to praise God for it's our principal purpose really as a believer that we are to glorify God in our existence. It's our principal purpose as long as I live. I suppose an extreme example, because like I said, it can be very easy to say these things. It can be a lot harder to carry them out or live them out. I um, went back to a, a story that I knew of what I read of some martyrs. You heard of Christian martyrs, people that have died for their faith. And this fellow, his name is George Carpenter, was in the 16th century, so 1500s, late 1500s. And sadly, he was going to be burnt because of his theology. Things were tough. Things were tough. And it's, and it's recorded his words were to be said to the onlooker. Setting up to be burnt for your faith, not just for your faith, but your theology. He was getting set up to be burnt. And he said these words to the onlookers. And it's really a sign of his faithfulness And in fact, it's a sign of what this songwriter is saying. I will praise you all my life as long as I live in whatever circumstances they may be. And what was his words? Let this be a sure sign to you of my faith and perseverance in truth. So that as long as I am able to hold, open my mouth or to whisper, I will never cease to praise God and profess the truth. What a statement. What a statement when you think about it. When the chips are down, when you feel that you're painted into a corner, this guy was about to lose his life because of his faith, his theology, and he still wanted to continue to praise God in all his circumstances. I know what it was like even just um, growing up in in school and um, being at school and being a Christian wasn't something that went down well for everyone, and uh, well, for me anyway. And um, quite often I would want to maybe not talk about my faith because I felt, I felt awkward or I felt indifferent. You know, here we are, the songwriter is saying, no, I need to praise the Lord with all my life and all my circumstances as long as I live. Look, that example of George Carpenter was extreme, but I wanted to go extreme because I wanted us to realise that's, that's the glory and honour that is due to our wonderful God in praise. That is the example of praising the Lord all my life. So I have a question. In each of these verses that we're going to split up, I have a question for you. You don't have to answer it out loud. That's not the intention. I want you to answer it in your own heart. How often do you, and I mean myself as well, but I wanted to make it personal, how often do you commit to praising God for what he has done in your life despite your circumstances? Just think about that for a couple of seconds. I'm not going to say anything more. I'll reread the question. How often do you commit to praising God for what he has done in your life despite your circumstances? Remember, we need to have a posture, a position of praise continually in our daily life. Praise the Lord, O my soul. Look at verses 3 and 4. 
down a bit further. I've titled verses 3 and 4, A Caution Against Confidence in Mankind. Let's read verses 3 and 4. Do not put your trust in princes, in mortal men who cannot save. When their spirit departs, they return to the ground. On that very day, their plans come to nothing. What's this really mean? Do not put your trust in princes or men. Ultimately, princes was a, a, a status, a position in society, a person of influence. So in our context, you know, we must be realising here and what the songwriter is saying is only God is to be praised. Mankind's motives are questionable at times. Even the highest status amongst men and women are not worthy of our confidence. I mean, you look at our political parties. I mean, there's no, you can't say what side of the fence anymore politically because there's so many fences, there's so many sides and so many variations. But wherever we place our trust, if we place our trust in those things or those people, they're not worthy of our praise. They're not worthy of our confidence. Our confidence and security does not lie in them. We, don't, we should not have a confidence in mankind because we'll be sure to be disappointed when we put our trust in someone other than a, a praiseworthy God. See, quite often we can put our trust in people and circumstances and it may not be, need to be a person of status. It could be someone we, something we love, someone we love. It could be some situation that we'd love to be in, that we yearn for, you know. Don't put our praise in anything other than God that is worthy. Don't put your trust in mankind. So it goes down further to say, who cannot save, because mankind can't save us doesn't matter what our circumstances are. However the influence or how clever someone may be in your life, all of mankind does is inherit weakness and inability to help. We may, mankind may help for a time, but it won't last. Nothing to the extent that God can help, nothing to the extent of the compassion that God has or the intention that God has for your life or for his people. It's appropriate to say that no one, no mankind will offer salvation or deliverance in your circumstances. Only God can. Do not put your trust in men or in princes or in mankind who cannot save. When the spirit departs, they return to the ground and on that very day their plans come to nothing. This is just a reminder. It's a layering reminder that mankind is frail. Mankind has an end date. Uh, even the greatest of men and women in this world um, are subject to death and ultimately it's out of their control. So what really are you putting your trust in if you're putting your trust in mankind? It's something that will fade. They, they have no salvation. They have no deliverance for you. Only God does. You know, at funerals we say ashes to ashes, dust to dust. And even that's true because the most brilliant plans of any man or woman in this world that we may look up to will eventually perish. It will be gone. There's a frailty to that. All these are reasons why we need to set our confidence in God and God alone, not to men and women or circumstances that those men and women can create in our lives. Don't put our trust in princes, in mortal men who cannot save. When their spirit departs, they return to the ground and on that very day, their plans ultimately come to nothing. Another question. 
that I'll leave you with for a couple of seconds. How often are you reliant on people and circumstances rather than being totally reliant on a compassionate God? Have a think. Say it again. How often are we reliant on people and circumstances rather than being totally reliant on a compassionate God? Let's read verses 5 to 7. Blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord, his God, the maker of heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them, the Lord who remains faithful forever. He upholds the cause of the oppressed and gives food to the hungry. I've titled these two verses a confident, we have confidence in a compassionate God. A God of compassion here that we really see start to come out. Blessed is he whose help is in the God of Jacob. Help from mankind will always fail and often fail. But God never disappoints any of us who place our hope in him. Do you place your hope in God? Do you place your hope in the Saviour? Or do you hope, place your hope in mankind and in circumstances to create um, some sort of joy or some sort of security in your life. Blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord God. You know, we'll, we'll, never, we'll never have a better position of praise or when we're exercising faith. Who's had situations in their life where they've had to exercise real faith when there's actually a complete unknowing about what's around the corner? Psalm reminds us here that we can never praise God better than exercising our faith because our hope is in the Lord. That's what we need to be doing in our relationship with a loving God, exercising our faith because that is ultimately beautiful praise that God desires. See, when we put our trust in mankind, we rob God somewhat of the glory that should be his. Don't put your trust in mankind. Put your trust in God. And we're giving others our confidence when we really should be placing our confidence in God alone. God is a compassionate God who desires to fulfil our hopes, to fill our dreams and love us. So in these verses it also implies that he is the maker of heaven and earth. The psalm gives us more reasons for confidence in God because he's a creator of all these things. Mankind can't create anything. All we can do is destroy things ultimately and use things up. Can't create anything. And when we start to realise the power of who we're dealing with, a compassionate God who loves us, who's also the creator of the universe, how much more trust and hope can we place in deliverance with God, the creator, being our compassionate God? He's a compassionate God who creates this world. He has the power to help us. He has the power to deliver us out of situations in a way that not even great men or women could even dream of. Confidence in a compassionate God. The end of um, verse 7. Who remains faithful forever and upholds the cause for the oppressed. This is um, some further beauty about the compassion that God has for mankind. 
that God can be trusted because he's moral, he's upright, he's unchanging, and God is forever true. God champions justice for the oppressed. A God of, of such creating power, when, when you consider that God created this world, could have easily been a dictator. But yet a God with all this power is a God of compassion and has abundant love and he expresses it to all mankind who want to come to him. He even gives food to the hungry. So this creator of this world, creator of everything that we know and the air that we breathe, cares about you and I and he cares about those that are in need and those that are hurting and those that are oppressed and those who simply are just hungry and need food. God cares and is compassionate for all of us that are in need. And it's, um, it's for the hungry, he provides food, for the prisoners. I mean, we don't really hear about prisoners this, this day and age. Well, I don't every day. I don't deal with any prisoners. But I'm sure that some of you people feel imprisoned by life circumstances. There's some life circumstances that feel that you have imprisoned by or hemmed in and just can't get out. God cares about the prisoner and the oppressed. He cares about you and me. He provides freedom. That's the ultimate perspective of this prisoner context. He provides freedom for your life. No other man or woman can give that, only God. In all of this, we start to see God's power, God's holiness and God's compassion start to come out. For this section, I have another question. Do you have confidence that God can be trusted with bringing compassion into your life today? Have a think. Or do you, are you angry with God? Do you feel that you have confidence or do you have confidence that God can be trusted with bringing compassion into your life today? Have a think. Do you think God's a compassionate God? not about what God will do when we ask, it's about what God can do. Verses 8 and 9. Um, let's read. The Lord gives sight to the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down or crippled. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the alien. Now the alien could be the stranger, it could be the refugee, the outcast, and sustains the fatherless and the widow, but he frustrates the way of the wicked. So the Lord gives sight to the blind. He lifts up those that are crippled or bowed down. Bowed down. He loves the righteous. He loves the refugee. He sustains the fatherless and the widow. Um, you can start to see this further building of the compassion of God. Not only is there compassion, but there's power because we're talking about healing here as well so the psalm continues a description of our lord and our god as a god of power care justice and compassion the psalmist seems delighted if you like to describe god in great works of love and power note all these classes that we just mentioned if you like all these conditions of afflicted people are really meant to be literal but I suppose in some ways they could also hint some sort of 
um, spirituality position as well. Maybe there's oppression or there's spiritual blindness. Maybe those of you are feeling degraded or outcast in society. I want you to know that God can restore. God's a God of restoration because he's a compassionate God, but because he's a powerful God, he's the creator, he can do all things. You see connections with what we're reading even in this Psalm 146 and the character of God in the area of compassion. And we can see likening to Jesus in the New Testament who shows compassion as he interacts. In fact, I thought in the book of Matthew and Luke, there's about five situations. Jesus opened the eyes of the blind as we just read about in Psalm 146, what God does. He gives sight to the blind. Jesus raised those that were crippled, just as the writer speaks here in Psalm 146 about God. He lifts up those who are bowed down or crippled. Jesus cared for the stranger. Jesus blessed the fatherless and the widow. Jesus turned the way of the wicked also upside down. So what about the way of the wicked? at the end of verse 9. God shows great love and compassion to the poor, afflicted and the needy. Yet the Lord also brings justice against the wicked and turns their ways upside down. Why is it it their ways are upside down? Ultimately, we must recognise that God's plans frustrate the ways of the wicked in this world because his values are completely opposite to the world's values. His values are completely opposite to what the world wants. So the ways of the wicked are just turned upside down. They're frustrated by the goodness of God at many times. They're frustrated by Christianity because what it stands for, because it's so opposite to what they want, because Christianity is not about being self, you know, being focused on oneself, being focused on a God who has a purpose, who created this world, who offers salvation who has a plan and a purpose, where in this world mankind's way is all about oneself and um, not really considering your brothers and sisters around you or not even considering that there is a God who loves them. Just as we start to close in verse 10, this is a great, um, I suppose, cap ending for this psalm that the Lord says in verse 10, I have titled it, Praising the God Who Reigns Forever. And it says, the Lord reigns forever. And the part where it says, your God, I don't want you to just be reading that as if it's for somebody else. Be reading it as if it's for you today. This is me reading it to you. The Lord reigns forever. Your God, my God, O Zion for all generations. Isn't it wonderful to think that our God, our personal God, our personal Saviour is a God of compassion. He's a God who cares for the oppressed. He cares for the downtrodden. He's a miracle worker as well. It talks about the power of our creator in this passage. It tells us about not putting our trust in men and women in this world of influence, but to put our trust wholly and solely in God. Praise the Lord, O my soul. I will praise him all of my life. Just as the team comes up um, to prepare our our last song set for today. Um, No? Yep. Um, I was wondering if they can come up and we might read the psalm as one whole, one whole passage.
want you to leave today with again these five points about praise, about a compassionate God. When when we're at a posture of praise, we recognise that our God is compassionate and loving. So what does our praise do? It will take our minds off our own problems and redirect them to focus on God. Praise will lead us from being an individual worship to a corporate worship. Your praise will bring you the appreciate God's character even greater. Your praise will lift your perspectives from the earthly to the heavenly. Your praise will prepare the hearts to receive God. Let's just read in closing. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. I will praise the Lord all my life. I will sing praise to my God as long as I live. In all circumstances, I'd like to add. Do not put in your trust in princes, in mortal men who cannot save. When their spirit departs, they return to the ground. On that very day, their plans come to nothing. Blessed is he whose help is in the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God. Is that you today? Is your hope in the Lord? Maybe today is the right time to put your hope in the Lord God and put your hope in Jesus Christ. The maker of heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them, the Lord who remains faithful forever. He upholds the cause of the oppressed. He gives food to those that are hungry. The Lord sets prisoners free. The Lord gives sight to the blind. He's a miracle worker. The Lord lifts up those that are crippled or bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over and cares for the alien, the stranger, the outcast, and sustains the fatherless and the widow, but he frustrates the ways of the wicked. In closing, the Lord reigns forever. Your God, say it, your God, your God. O Zion for all generations. Amen.